With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim G.K. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today we're going to talk about abstinence teaching, a huge shift in sex education. Our guest speaker is Executive Director, uh, Valerie Hubert. Uh, she's going to be our guest for the next 25 minutes. If you'd like to join in the conversation, please call 347-324-3460, 347-324-3460, and she's with the National Abstinence Education Association. Valerie, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I guess to begin with, our listeners like to hear personal stories uh, about the uh, person. So, if you don't mind, kind of tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, well, be- before directing the National Abstinence Education Association, I was uh, the person responsible for managing the abstinence education program for the state of Ohio. Uh, working out of the Ohio Department of Health, and at that time, I really learned that this is an issue that unfortunately is not only contentious, but um, that it fits really well within a public health model for um, encouraging best health outcomes. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't make that connection. Um, I really initially got interested in this whole topic because I have four children, and certainly want to make sure that what they are learning, um, you know, outside of the home is reinforcing uh, those healthy messages that we are communicating in the home. And so um, based on on that concern, it kind of launched me into the broader conversation of what should the message be for all teens and all young people. And then uh, currently, uh, what should our federal sex education policy be? And if it is not healthy, um, we need to be involved in, in changing it to make sure it is. Wow. And the organization, the uh, NAEA, um, kind of tell about us the history of that particular organization. Sure. Well, we're a little over five years old now, and when... Um, the founders of this organization got together, they recognized that although abstinence education or or the, the value of promoting abstinence to uh, young people is kind of one of those no-brainer intuitive things, we were losing the whole debate in, in the uh, public conversation. And it wasn't because 
it didn't have value. It wasn't because it didn't work. It was because uh, those who were providing abstinence education were busy in their communities and in their schools and in their homes um, making a difference in in uh, young people's lives but not involved so much in the cultural debate, in the uh, general conversation, and certainly not in public policy. And so this debate was being um, defined and um, abstinence education was being misdefined by our opponents. So NAEA was formed to correct a lot of that misinformation and to have um, a very specific voice in favor of best health outcomes for young people at the national, state, and even the local levels, and to really change this debate based on not sound bites, but on truly what kind of things are going to be in the best interest of, of our young people, and what kind of things um, should could be defined as a, a a good use of, of our hard-earned taxpayer dollars rather than just pushing a political agenda. What is the administrative uh, administration's view on this particular program right now? Are they from well, the health department is really promoting it? or? Well, it's that's a really good question. Um, what we have found ever since sex education has been uh, federally funded, in, in recent years, which was really started um, under the, the Reagan administration, and then it got another boost under the Clinton administration, and uh, another boost um, under the Bush administration. That's for abstinence education. But uh, sex education in general has been funded since the time of uh, Johnson and uh, you know, right around that time, and even earlier on a on a on a little bit different level since around World War One. Well, what mm -hmm. we found is it really um, didn't matter if there was a Republican or a Democrat in the White House; there was support uh, for abstinence education. Currently, however, we find that we've broken with tradition, and uh, President Obama sought to eliminate all abstinence education from federal sex education policy as soon as he took office. Um, and so because of some bipartisan efforts that we've um, worked very hard to develop in Congress, we were able to restore a little bit of priority. But there's still like a 16 to 1 disparity between uh, contraceptive sex education and abstinence education, which is really um, a, a tragedy and a travesty if we're really concerned about the health of young people. And the, mm -hmm. the, the reality is whatever federal sex ed policy is, it has a trickle-down effect to the states and to the communities because we know that many communities and even states are financially strapped. And so as a result of that, uh, you know, they're kind of like the squirrel that follows wherever the wherever he can find his, uh, you know, next next nut. Um, in, in this regard, they're they're following the money, and and unfortunately, some states and some communities and even some schools are less concerned about the content of what that education looks like as much as the dollars that are behind it. And so we've seen a, a major shift. 
as a result of federal sex ed policy trickling down to um, offer less than optimal health choices for the for the youth in in those locales. Well, why the administration uh, cut back the program? Is it because of financing or uh, finances, or is it something political, or just something they just want to take out, or something which is ill-advised? Well, we think it's very ill-advised. We we think that it's a, a very sharp ideological uh, turn where um, there's less of a concern. Um, unfortunately, ab about looking at this issue from an objective standpoint and more about uh, thinking of the political base and um, um, being willing to make decisions based on those sound bites rather than the reality. And, and the administration um, described the rationale for their doing so by saying, you know, we only want to fund the things that work. And clearly, abstinence education doesn't work, and so uh, it, would, it would be a waste of taxpayer dollars to uh, devote any any funding toward that. Well, it makes for a, a rather convincing sound bite and, and talking point until you look at the research and you find that um, the whole basis supposedly for their eliminating abstinence education is on pretty shaky ground because there's some pretty impressive research showing that not only is abstinence education intuitively something that, you know, works every single time abstinence does, uh, but from an implementation standpoint, we have a, a pretty sizable um, body of research that shows that young people who are part of abstinence education classes and programs are much more likely to delay sex, and if they are already sexually active, they're more likely to discontinue that sexual activity. So it's it's one of those things that doesn't make a lot of logical sense when you really start digging. Are kids waiting, or is is the I can remember the eighties when we had an uptick on teen pregnancies and we, and we had you know I remember that show with Charlie uh, on CBS talking about teen pregnancies and, and just mushroomed from there and it was a topic probably ninety five or ninety not ninety five I'm sorry eighty five or eighty six or eighty seven uh, during that time we also had the HIV epidemic happening. Has things really changed that much? Teen pregnancies have gone down, and and, and it's showing that all of a sudden now we're beginning to wait. Well, you know, the typical um, understanding of this whole issue—if you were to ask the average American—they would say that mm -hmm. probably teen pregnancy is at its all-time high, and teen sex, sexual activity is at its all times high and that most teens, you know, are going to have sex. So abstinence education is unrealistic. That's kind of the conventional comment about this. But here again, let's look at the trends. And you're right, there was mm -hmm. a there there was um a big uptick in in the 80s and as a result of that, um President Clinton signed some legislation that inaugurated at that time, one of the largest abstinence education programs uh, ever. And it was because they saw the, the 
president and Congress saw a big correlation between um, the ever-expanding welfare roles and um, single parenting. And so they really wanted to get to the core of the issue, which was to encourage non-married, particularly young people, uh, to wait to have sex until they're married. And as a result of that and some, some other things, we have seen dramatic drops in not only teen pregnancy, uh, but I think even more telling in teen sexual initiation. So we are right now at the lowest level, I think, of of teen uh, births that we have had in, in decades. Um, in addition to that, and, and again, I think it's more telling because it really speaks to the behavior, um, more and more teens are choosing to wait to have sex altogether. So if you look at the teens that are most, the age group that's most typically targeted for a sex ed class, let's say in schools, 15 to Mm 17-year-olds, the CDC released some some numbers not long ago that showed almost 75% of that age group has never had sex. So that is very encouraging um, information, and it, really flies in the face of what most people would think. And in addition to that, it kind of begs the question, if 75% of 15- to 17-year-olds have never had sex, then why is it that the priority in our, in, our, in our sex education policy here for the nation is doing very little to reinforce those healthy behaviors or to increase those numbers even further. Um, I I think it shows a disconnect between what is resonating with our youth and what kind of agenda we have uh, currently as a nation for sex ed. That's pretty good. I mean, uh, granted, since the video movement uh, for the past 25 years, and and now you have the Internet, you have a lot of things that uh, before really uh, 85, nobody really had access to. Today they have access to the world. Um, you know, you can mistype something and come up with something on the Internet. That And you have peer pressure today, a lot of stimulation, and it's pretty good that they're still holding off. If you had a had, a, had to have a conversation as a parent with a child, what would, you, what would you say? Because some parents are really, really afraid to even talk about sex. They just can't imagine their baby uh, engaging in this activity uh, until, you know, until they are married or well into their adulthood. What do you say to that parent how to open this conversation uh, as a couple and to have this conversation with your teen? What will you say to them? Well, that is a really good question, too. Um, we really encourage parents to be the primary sex educators of their children. And what your listeners might find interesting is that, uh, without exception, whenever teens are asked where they want to get this information, where they want to talk, where they want to go to talk about, you know, setting dating guidelines, talk about relationships, talk about sex, um, the number one choice is always mom or dad, always. I think that that information should be really empowering to parents because a lot of parents that I talk to think that their teens either aren't listening to them or even if they hear, they really don't care what they have to say. Those surveys, and not just one but many of them, 
uh, paint a very different picture. But the fact of the matter is, is if mom or dad or mom and dad aren't saying much, then the reality is that the teen is going to find that information elsewhere, whether it's on the Internet or from friends or peers. And that information might be inaccurate, it might be unhealthy, and it might be guiding them in a direction that they shouldn't be going and that uh, their parents wish they wouldn't go. So that's not an exact answer to your question, but then let's look a little deeper. Mm-hmm. We really encourage this conversation not to be a single conversation, but that it begins with an an openness and, and an ability for uh, even a very young person to ask a question, any question, to mom and dad and be able to get an age-appropriate answer so that when they enter the more awkward teen years when the questions get a lot more difficult, uh, they will feel safe to do that. Um, It's very important that parents communicate their values but do so in a non-threatening way but all all the while still communicating expectations because um, a whole lot of other research also shows that teens who receive very clear direction and expectations in this area from their parents are much, much more likely to wait to have sex. Um, So that's kind of a summary, and there are a lot of things to fill in, but um, that should get things started a little bit. Okay. Is there a particular age uh, that you need to start this conversation? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I I think it's really important to be sensitive to the questions that children have at any age. So, you know, if uh, a five-year-old sees that their best friend's mom is expecting and has a question about something about, you know, how does that baby come out or, um, you know, is it going to be a boy or a girl or whatever, um, to to have an age-appropriate response. That doesn't mean you, you you pull out the charts and you pull out the books and go into every detail, but you give a very simple response that satisfies their question, uh, the as a satisfactory answer to their question, and that's it. Now, you know, a couple years later they might have... Um, Uh, that same question but need a little more information. So you're building on the information um, but in an age-appropriate way. And so then, you know, when a a child is approaching puberty, then it becomes much more natural to talk about that. And then when you're talking about, you know, the, the possibility of group dating or, you know, an interest in a boy or a girl, uh, then you already have some foundation for having these sensitive conversations, and there is a comfort level on on both sides. I think another really important thing to mention is a lot of parents are very uncomfortable with this topic, first of all, because it is, you know, it's a very personal and sensitive issue, but a, a lot of parents may have engaged in some things themselves when they were teens that they're not especially proud of right now. They kind of feel hypocritical if they uh, set some standards that maybe they didn't follow themselves when they were a teen. We really like to encourage parents to um, realize that they have matured and learned some things 
and that their children don't need to repeat their same mistakes for them to learn those same lessons. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can think about this in a number of issues. What child hasn't told a lie or done something, and yet when we are adults, even though we lied, we still have an expectation for honesty for our children. Well, the same thing is true here, um, that that we can – it's not hypocrisy. It's It really is maturity and wanting something – different and better for our own children, and it can really become a foundation or a basis for those conversations rather than stifling them. Wow. It's kind of ironic. Uh, It's almost like uh, it can happen at any age. And I can remember um, in the 70s that, you know, the simple explanation that kids usually figure out, hey, I just... The baby comes from you. You know, you just cut out your stomach, <laughs> and it made sense, and no other questions about it until I actually uh, one of my friend's parents um, was a nurse, and she actually explained. And actually, when she had a baby, she uh, was in the delivery room with him. Does scare tech, uh, tactics work? Um, I mean, the uh, there used to be a scare tactic. Okay, you can die from this. Uh, uh, getting pregnant is painful. Um, uh, all of those type of things. It has research show that those negative things really deter them at all? Well, what we found for. Um Massive campaigns. Let's just look at this anti-smoking campaign, for example. Mm-hmm. The most, one of the most recent um, uh, changes in that campaign was encouraging very graphic um, um, pictures on the sides of cigarette packets to show some of the consequences of smoking, and and usually they're the most extreme consequences that you that you would find. Um, when HIV-AIDS was first discovered in the 80s, um, the medical community was learning about it at the same time the general public was, and so there was a a lot of misinformation, but one thing was clear, and that was this is something that can kill you, and it is killing people, and while we don't know everything about it, we we do know that if you get it, your your prognosis isn't very good. This was back in the 80s, of course. It, it, we also, though, know that information alone uh, isn't particularly impactful by itself in changing somebody's behavior uh, because mm-hmm. they need to personalize it for themselves. Uh, that's why... Uh, physicians, for example, still engage in really unhealthy activities, even though they know the medical consequences. Um, and you can find other examples as well. There has to be a personal motivation and connection. And the the, the thing that I think is uniquely good about an abstinence education program is we're not just talking about um, – here's why you need to to wait to have sex and and we talk about all of the sexually transmitted disease and um and it and it is stark and it is horrifying uh but there are other other reasons because a a teen doesn't think that those kind of things are going to happen to them 
It might happen to wow. their friend who isn't as smart, but it's not going to happen to them. But if you can um, make this conversation contextual and, and encourage a young person to think of their future, what kind of things they'd like to accomplish in in the next 10 years, for example. And once they begin to envision uh, their future, then they have, then they realize that there are some things that they need to say, I'm not going to engage in this or this, and I am going to make a priority of this, and here are some things that could really get me off track. And they're then putting together a roadmap for their future, um, and they can see why for them, uh, you know, adding sex to a relationship really could mess up a lot of things, not just for me, but for the other person as well. And then it becomes important to them. So while, you know, some people call uh, talking about the stark realities of sexually transmitted disease or whatever um, as a scare tactic, we would say, you know, it's reality. Uh, one in mm-hmm. 14 girls has at least one sexually transmitted disease, and some of them, uh, if if you have them, they they can cause cancer. They can have very uh, bad consequences as a result. They can make you unable to have children. Um, but we don't end the conversation there. We really contextualize it and make it a conversation. Um, where teens are living, talking about healthy relationships and how adding sex to that relationship at, at their age can really uh, derail even, even you know, uh, relationships that could have a future. Um, they could sustain really unhealthy ones, and you don't want that to happen. So um, I think it's really important to, to have this conversation as, as a holistic conversation where you're talking about how one physical act can impact an entire life uh, for good or for bad. Wow. What you would like to leave us with and with the whole conversation about what we need to do as parents uh, and where we had it as a society? Sure. Well, obviously we are the biggest cheerleaders for for parents, and I know it's a tough job. Um, And so we have some resources on our sister um, website for our foundation at abstinenceworks.org that give parents not only some conversation starters, it also gives them some clues of what kind of questions to ask the the health class or the sex ed teacher in their school to find out what kind of things are actually being taught because you as parents need to be the advocates for your children. And then on a national level, um, I really would encourage your listeners to contact their members of Congress and say, you know, our, our federal sex ed policy right now, it's wrongheaded. It is not encouraging best health outcomes for my children, and I want to see a change. I want an, I want an abstinence-centered approach uh, to be given priority, uh, so that more, so that we can see even more than 75% of those 15 to 17 year olds saying, "I'm going to wait," and I know why I'm waiting, and they're going to do it successfully. Wow! And give us your your contact information, your two website. Sure. Um, the the website for NAEA is. Ab, uh, the NAEA.org, 
or or mm-hmm. um, www. org. And for NAEF, it is abstinenceworks.org. Perfect. Well, Valerie, I really appreciate you joining the conversation today. Thank you so very much for coming on to the program. Thanks for for having me. I look forward to chatting again sometime. Thank you again. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Again, it's been another production of the Core Business Show. You can download this episode on Block uh, Talk Radio and iTunes. Thank you you all for listening, and have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For a free quote on equipment leasing and financing, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. And fill out the information to receive your free quote. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to The Core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. Thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.